Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. I do think there is like such this element of needing to acknowledge it as a disorder, but also it's so easy to get trapped in like it's only bad and it's only negative and I wish I didn't have it and I, I don't think that that's really fair either for us to only be fed those negatives and to feel like it's just hopeless. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, before we get started, I'm going to read a review that was left on Audible from a listener called Knox. This review brought me to tears because it absolutely encapsulates all the reasons why I have continued to put this podcast out week after week for nearly three years. It's entitled The Single Best Thing to Happen to Me. After listening to every episode at least twice, often listening 40 hours a week during work for over a year, the executive function gods have smiled upon me and I am able to write a review. I never listened to a podcast before, but when I started realizing I might have ADHD, I was confused by the clinical information on the internet, and even the self-tests had me unsure what some of the questions meant. I wanted to find something that explained what ADHD feels like for females, so I clicked on the podcast that had the most reviews, and that was it. I could never put a price on the knowledge and clarity I've gained from these stories. Not only did it help solidify my self-diagnosis, but it also helped me to sort out the ADHD symptoms and realize that I am likely autistic too. It's been so cathartic to realize that all the times teachers called me too sensitive, or loved ones yelled at me to stop being lazy and just do the thing, or the 10 years I've struggled to get through my degree are all because of these neurological differences I have and not because I'm a horrible, worthless person. This podcast has also been an amazing tool to educate others. When I clearly recognized my mother in some of the episodes, I called her up and said, I think I have ADHD and you do too. I then sent her the Casey Davis episode and told her to listen. My previously skeptical mother has now been diagnosed with ADHD in her 60s and finally knows why she's been struggling her entire life. Did I mention two of my sisters have since been diagnosed as well? I can't thank you enough for the journey this has started me on as I can finally get the help and support I need to accomplish what I want in life. Please keep doing what you're doing. Oh gosh, thank you, Knox. And thanks to reviews like yours, I fully plan to keep doing what I'm doing. Conversations, like the incredible one you're about to hear right now, are not only cathartic and validating, but I firmly believe it is a far more effective way of learning about our brains and reframing our ADHD than reading books or articles or the DSM ever could. 
Your reviews inspire me and they keep me going. So if you are a listener of this podcast and you found it helpful and you've been meaning to leave me a review and you just haven't gotten around to it, please consider heading over to Apple Podcasts or Audible and you can now leave feedback on individual episodes on Spotify. And if that feels like too much right now and I totally get it, you can also just quickly hit the five stars. In fact, why don't we just pause right now? You can go do it and I promise we will wait for you. Here we are at episode 166, in which I interview Matilda Bosley. Matilda is an award-winning social media reporter and a presenter for Guardian Australia. Based in Melbourne, she has spearheaded the publication's popular TikTok channel, where she writes and hosts their short-form news explainers. She regularly reports on issues affecting young people, women, and mental health. And her first book, The Year I Met My Brain, documents her experiences and discoveries after being diagnosed with ADHD at 23. We talk about how TikTok diagnosed her with ADHD, her viral video of her chore charms, and what made her decide to write a book about her diagnosis journey. We also talk about some of the media backlash against the recent rise in ADHD diagnoses, as well as about a thousand other rapid-fire topics, because that's what we do on this podcast. Matilda also explains her theory of land brains versus ocean brains, and I basically have zero chill throughout the interview, and I just gush the whole time because I am such a huge fan of Matilda's work. This conversation was an absolute gem. I loved it, and I know you will too. Enjoy. Matilda Bosley, as I live and breathe. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. I, have to, I told my 16 year old daughter I was interviewing you at dinner tonight and she actually like raised an eyebrow. She was like, oh, I think it's like uh, the fifth time in her life she's been mildly impressed with me. So thank you for that. I do everything for the approval of teenagers. I cannot tell you. So that means <laughs> so much. <laughs> Uh, but she was actually the one who, you know, she sent me the video of yours from TikTok that went viral of the tags, which we will get into eventually. But I am just, I don't mean to sound creepy, but I'm like a little bit obsessed with you. <laughs> but one thing I do have to admit is I have not read your book yet. I'm sorry. I'm waiting for the audiobook. I want you to read it to me. So when is that coming out? Yeah. So I think internationally, the ebook and the audiobook should be out and then. I don't know, fingers crossed, the physical book kind of can come to other countries soon enough. But yes, I was very like, the audiobook needs to be out the day of, because I couldn't possibly read a book. <laughs> um, all right, well, I will I will hopefully get my act together and have the link for the audiobook in the show notes as well. And hopefully by the time this airs, I will have read the book because I've uh, listened to, so I'll tell you, I had a client of mine who sent me the episode of the Guardian podcast, the full story episode, and she was and she knows who she is. She's out there. uh, She was like, you have to interview this woman. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, okay." And then I put two and two together that you were the tag, the the tag lady. (laughs) I'm sorry. That sounds terrible. Um, And I was like, oh, I already follow her. And then I listened to the podcast episode interview you did with Ed Stott on That's Helpful. And that's where I went from like, oh, yeah, I'd like to interview Matilda Bosley to, oh, my God, I think I'm obsessed with Matilda Bosley. I just think you're so brilliant. And so you put into words so many incredible things. I actually wrote this down from that interview because this was so incredible. You were talking about like what the loneliness that we don't even realize how lonely we are until we get this diagnosis. And it was like, and then you start to realize that people are seeing you for the first time. And you had said, you were like, I felt like I was laying the tracks as the train was running 
And you said, I spent my life relying on other people's capacity to forgive me. And it was like my heart just sank into my stomach when you said that. It was just so uh, poignant. And so thank you for all your way with words. Thank you so much. I think the capacity to forgive line I genuinely did write on my laptop while crying. <laughs> there's one um in the book, there's sort of chapters that are more there's still a lot of me throughout, but much more sort of factual. And then there's kind of like interlude diary entries in between each. And one of them is literally just me having a breakdown about trying to write the book. Um, I was like, I can get one self-indulgent uh, meta thing where, cause it was, I just got to this point where it just felt like everything was falling apart all the time and constantly. And it was, yeah, it really was that thing of like, oh my God, my entire social relationships are reliant on other people's good graces it feels like sometimes and but yes no that I I I remember writing that like just fully bawling my eyes out at the time which honestly it's a lot of the book was written while fully bawling my eyes out I'm not gonna lie wow right yeah you had said like and something we talk about a lot on this podcast that feeling like we have the best of intentions right that deep down we are bad people who desperately want to be good as opposed to what we are, which is for the most part, phenomenal human beings who are always good. And just somehow people have decided that we're just fucking up all the time. Um, but yeah, anyway. <sighs> okay, I want to backtrack a little bit um, and find out about your diagnosis. So you were diagnosed on TikTok, not on TikTok, uh, live on TikTok. <laughs> but, <laughs> Basically. But you came to your understanding of, of your own ADHD through TikTok videos. Uh, when was this? How old were you? And what were some of the things you found you were most relating to? Yeah. So it was, it really was like, I had been lurking on TikTok for ages the pandemic started and, um, I mean, in Melbourne where I'm from, we had, I think, the world's longest lockdown, which, you know, and my TikTok viewership just went up like crazy. And I remember it was, yeah, like one or two videos, you know, just kind of like throughout the algorithm of of people saying, I think it was um, Katie Osaurus, the first one I saw talking about like, oh, five, you know, signs of ADHD that you might not expect in in adult women. And I think, you know, probably my first thought was like, oh, adult women can have it or well, women in general. And I remember watching it and being kind of like, God, that sounds a lot like my anxiety because I had had a generalized anxiety um, diagnosis, which honestly I think possibly contributed to the thing because like I went on antidepressants and suddenly uh, wasn't, you know, like that thing of, oh, if I'm not utterly terrified that this person will hate me forever and never talk to me again. If I don't reply, um, I'm not going to reply, you know? So like the glue of my life that was pure terror was starting to drop away a little bit with um, starting to treat my anxiety. So things were already starting. I just moved out of home. Um, and then clearly I watched the video. There's, you know, probably watched it again, liked it, saved it for later just in case. And, you know, clearly somewhere in some computer server, the algorithm overlords were like, we got her. We got one. <laughs> Let's send a million of these videos because she will stay on the app and watch them. Like, you know, that sort of dystopian, like capitalistic, let's drag every advertising cent out of her eyeballs we can. Um, and suddenly my For You page was, yeah, just progressively more and more filled with these videos to the point where it, 
I, and I think there was a resistance at first because I was like, it feels too easy, right? Like, oh, here's this excuse, you know, just because this fits me utterly and perfectly and would explain everything, you know? But, yeah, I think there was a resistance and eventually, yeah, it got too spooky and, you know, spoke to my therapist who sent me back to my GP, who sent me to the psychiatrist. Um, I'm not sure what it's like in, in the US at the moment, but currently in Australia because there has been this, which is really like new chapter of ADHD awareness that we're entering into, um, wait lists are now ridiculous. It can be 13, 14 months to see a psychiatrist because um, in Australia it's the, they're the only people that can prescribe stimulant medications for adults at least. Uh, and I was lucky. I got in maybe a four-month wait and, yeah, eventually by the end of the whole process he sort of said, yeah, you have ADHD, it seems pretty clearly, and it seems you've had it your whole life. And I just like burst into tears because it was just like at that point my like number one fear was like what if he says no, you know. Uh, so I was so happy and I think he was like, okay, can we talk about medication now? I don't want to deal with this crying lady um, <laughs> as psychiatrists are apt to do. But, yeah, so it was really a process of, yeah, that weird thing of like, oh, cool, so – I missed it and my teachers missed it and my parents missed it and my therapist missed it and my doctors missed it all these years and and TikTok figured it out in a couple of weeks. Well, I feel there's like there's this paradox between feeling like before I was diagnosed, feeling like the things that I'm struggling with, everybody struggles with, right? Like there was a sense of I just assumed a lot of the things that are kind of typical traits of ADHD were especially the internalized stuff, right? Like I just figured this was a universal experience most of the time. I didn't realize that this was not what everybody, I mean, I thought that my husband was some strange, like, yeah, I just thought he was a white male who had lots and lots of confidence. And so he didn't struggle with feeling inadequate all the time, but I didn't attribute it to like being a neurotypical or there was something universal about the fact that I was just chronically terrible right like you had said like I was just a bad person well like it's that that thing of like all ADHD symptoms are like universal experiences to a degree and you know that it's about like the intensity and the frequency of of it and so yeah it's kind of like oh well everyone has trouble doing this everyone forgets appointments everyone like loses their keys like this isn't but then when you realize like no this is constant and it's affecting my life and yeah, like I, I really feel that of, of, I think, you know, in terms of that feeling like a bad person pretending to be good because, like, I I think I was genuinely, like, 23 the first time, like, uh, post-diagnosis, the first time that it, like, occurred to me that, like, being, you know, lazy or thoughtless or selfish or, you know, all these other words that we put on ourselves, that they were things that people could choose to do. Like that when if someone was, if I was being lazy, that there, there's people, you know, lazy, like I think it's often, very often not on purpose, but, you know, that there's people who are choosing to not get the things done or not wanting to do it and things like that. And I kind of just thought, oh, well, you're kind of born with like a certain amount of like selfishness and thoughtlessness and and laziness and, you know, hopelessness and it's just your fault if, that's like just tough luck if you were born like that and then you just have to be pretending to be good. Like I thought I was just kind of born bad and it was just like unfortunate and i got to just work really hard not to, you know. 
because I had no idea that like, you know, when other people aren't texting people happy birthday, it's not coming out of just like pure having forgot or when because they've forgotten it, it's about, oh, you didn't write it in your diary or something like that. Like, yeah, because it was like I would try so hard to be able to do it and I just couldn't. But we're taught that there's intent behind that. Like there's so moralized all the aspects of ADHD. And I think that's what was the hardest thing to get around is like letting go of my own moral judgment of myself. Absolutely. Like you were saying, like there was this sense that what I'm doing seems to be coming across like I don't care about the person, right? Like I forgot to text them back or I'm late or all of these things that happen where we feel like we're a bad friend or a bad person. And then you start to question, well, I'm doing these things. So therefore I must not care. It's it's like our behaviors dictate how we think about other people, even though they are completely incongruent, right? Like we really do have the best of intentions. Um, but I think we start to doubt ourselves and we start to think, well, maybe I am a terrible person. Maybe I am thoughtless. Maybe I'm lazy. Maybe I'm careless. And we internalize all of that into a, to a degree that we start like our self-esteem is, has gone, you know, in the toilet by the time most of us get this diagnosis or, you know, or we're diagnosed with depression and anxiety and then use the anxiety, like you said, as a motivator. <laughs> yeah, completely. And also, I mean, I don't know. I, this is, again, just make like now I'm just going off on a tangent, but I feel like if there's ever a place to do it, it's an ADHD podcast. <laughs> but, um, but like I, I do, I think so much about the way the symptoms of ADHD are moralized and I do wonder if like that's such a big part of the stigma around it of like, it feels kind of rough to see someone be like, oh, I've done, I'm doing these, you know, like someone without ADHD looking at someone with ADHD being like, that annoyed me in that way, what they did. And I was hurt by that because I assumed it's intentional because for me it would be and all of this. And then seeing like, oh, I, they have ADHD and it feels like that sort of like almost like a moral excuse as well. And I do wonder whether, whether that kind of really increases the annoyance that people have and, you know, the whole discussion of, oh, everyone has ADHD these days, whether it is that thing of these things are so associated with like who's a good person or not in a way that's really pointless and really arbitrary because like most people would be doing the best they possibly can all the time and we all fall short to a certain degree. It's just with ADHD, it's obviously it's more throughout. And I, yeah, I just, it's made me honestly question the entire, like, what, idea of what we've built on, like, respectable society, honestly. Right. Well, I find it fascinating, too, that a lot of that, like, eye rolling that is coming from this, this massive, like, oh, everybody has ADHD. Um, you're all just pill seekers. And like, I feel like a lot of that moral high ground that you're talking about is is coming, especially from the UK media. It's not happening as much in North America. And I think you're right. I think there is a like the UK especially has it's, you know, they're they're colonialists. They're there. There's a royal order of things. There's a properness. Right. You need to like there's a, such an emphasis on knowing your place. And so there is like a moral high ground there. Like, you don't have a right to feel good about yourself. I'm going to say if you feel good about yourself. And so it's like fascinating to me that it seems like it is much more concentrated in the UK. I, but I know, like, how are you finding being in the Australian media? How do you are you finding it's 
it's at least a little better or just as bad or more more agnostic as with most things in Australia, it's somewhere between the UK and the US. Like, um, I think culturally that says a lot. Um, is it's it's often that. Um, and I think look, there's 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 been some great media coverage on it, and and I think it helps that there's some awesome women in media with ADHD, and there's been some great coverage. But there is definitely a lot of oh, look at this quirky little trend. It seems like everyone has it. And it's like, I would like it if there was a bit more of a breakdown of ADHD is twice as common as having red hair, if not more. It's actually not that weird that you know 10 different people with ADHD. That's just how maths works. I know it seems like a lot. It is just how maths works. And like, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about, oh, wow, this like this you know, kind of treating it like the trend, whereas I think it's more like, you know, there's been a cosmic shift. The entire world changed overnight and we accidentally invented an app that is a perfect ADHD information dissemination machine because it's <laughs> short videos with constant gratification. And those two things happened and, yeah, the world of ADHD has changed. And, you know, there is just always going to be the moral, kind of a moral panic at those inflection points. But um, oh, I had something to say about this. I, so, yeah, it's treated a bit sort of like a trend. And, yes, it's mostly annoyance coming from, oh, these people are just making these excuses and whatnot and everyone has it. I also, like, I really think it's got a lot to do with the fact that it's a lot of women finding out and, like, we hate things to do with women right like you know it, 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 there's a reason we like dismiss like boy bands and bands that young women like like anytime young women are getting into it it's like oh it's just a trend and it's this trendy thing and everyone wants to be the same and I think I do think there's a really gendered element to it which is a shame because there's so many men also finding out about their identities in this way but I, I really do think the fact that it it has been such a kind of revolution for women specifically that increases the way it's treated and 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 the kind of feeling of frivolousness that is sometimes imbued into some of the coverage. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. I'm curious to know your point of view on this um, on this course correction, because I do feel like it's a course correction in terms of the the massive increase in diagnoses over the last couple of years. And I remember um, John Oliver had talked about it. It was actually in reference to the increase in trans youth, but he had he had likened it to the um, increase in left handedness when elementary school teachers stopped forcing kids to be right-handed. And so they were like, there was this spike in left-handedness in children. And, and you know, everybody at the time was like, oh, everybody thinks they're left-handed now, when really left-handedness is 10% of the population. It was like, well, no, it's not that suddenly these people were left-handed. It's that nobody's forcing them to not be left-handed. And so <laughs> he was using it in he was using it in reference to the increase in trans youth, but it was, you know, I like to think about it in terms of the increase in diagnoses, which is like, 
no, it's not, you know, these are women, this is a course correction. These are women who are discovering what their ADHD looked like their whole life and how it affected them. And they're finally, finally getting this diagnosis. That said, there is always this part of me that's like, are we sure this is ADHD? I've literally been diagnosed by two medical professionals at this point, And I'm still like plagued with that doubt of not, of just like, are we talking about something else here? Is it something else? Is it the pandemic? Is it the, you know, TikTok and our phones or like all of these other things? Is it the trauma of the world that we live in right now? Like there's always that question of me feeling like, am I the Pied Piper telling people that this is ADHD when it's not? Do you ever feel like that? Yes. Oh my God. Thank you for saying that. Cause I've been feeling like that so much. Cause I, so I have, I'm like, am I the problem now with this book? Because also it's like, it's a lot of people who come to me and say like, I'm discovering this about myself. So in my mind, everyone in the world currently has it because everyone who's talking to me and messaging me are doing it because that's what they relate to. So once again, like I'm getting bamboozled by the maths of it all. And I'm like, Oh, it's everywhere. And I think it doesn't help that like, I feel like people get diagnosed in clusters a little bit, you know, one friend does and then you're like, oh, my God, all my friends have ADHD apparently. And it's like, no, I'm pretty sure the neurotypical ones just fell off along the way. I think these it's a process of elimination and I end up with a neurodivergent friend group. <laughs> I, I think the more generous way to say that is like we attract each other. I'm like, it's maybe it might be because we just repel others. We're the only ones left at the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's the best party, truly. And I, I wrote a chapter in the book genuinely that's like, am I faking it? Like, because that plagued me so much and I was terrified throughout like the first six months of writing it that I'm like, what if I'm writing this book and they're just going to tell me it's wrong? And like, I don't actually have it. And I think, you know, because I was someone who had started a career, like I was already a journalist when I was diagnosed, you know, I had started a career, I had got through school and did well at school. And I think for me, at least a huge amount of this, like, am I faking it? Is it wrong? Is it bad? Is because, well, first of all, beforehand, you know, like I would, you know, I'd forget the cup of tea and then I wouldn't text this person and I'd do this and then I'd be a bit flustered and then I'd go really into the new lore of the Dune series. And all of those things are totally unrelated. So I'd never think about them in a row. And then you learn you have ADHD and you're like, oh, I forgot the cup of tea oh, and that's ADHD, and then I did this, and that's ADHD. And and so suddenly it's like my whole day is consumed with ADHD. And it's like, well, it was before. You just never thought to connect those things. So you didn't – you weren't – your pattern recognition wasn't going off. So I think – so because I was like, has my ADHD got worse because I got diagnosed? And it's like, no. Um, but then also, like, it was the way I restructured my life and, like, my self-esteem and the way I thought about myself and going through my history and – re-examining all those moments where I was like telling myself I was bad and hopeless and all of this. And I think it was hard for me to accept that, you know, it was so deeply rooted of like, no, you need to keep yourself accountable. You need to be taking accountability for this and, and doing this. And, and it almost felt like accepting like, oh no, I have ADHD was like the easy way out in a way. Like I was making excuses for myself and like still, so like even, and I, you know, I still sometimes worry about that. Like years into my diagnosis, that kind of really insipid, like self-esteem issues still like comes up and it makes me like doubt myself, even though, you know, even though every aspect of my life and treatment and everything is confirmed that like, 
you got it, babe, don't worry. Um, but, you know, it, it really is that aspect of like accepting that I might be an all right person is, is difficult and that comes with accepting ADHD. Oof, yeah. Oh, well said. Now, were you already, okay, because I was a newspaper journalist for years and now it all makes sense to me because I'm like, oh, journalism is like the perfect job for people with ADHD. Would you say there's a lot of, like, everybody in journalism probably has ADHD, especially deadline-oriented journalism, right? Like, but so I'm curious, were you working for The Guardian already when you were diagnosed and were you were you making your short, the TikTok videos? Were you like working it for, as their TikTok person? The TikToks came slightly afterwards, but yeah, for for if it, I make short news explainer videos about the 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 news on TikTok. Um, I started. I got diagnosed before I even started doing that. It was I was already at the Guardian, and yes, definitely. Like looking back, I'm like, oh wow, why was I drawn to this career of daily deadlines where I get to dive into an entirely new topic every day and just fill out my own curiosity and then get external gratification and acknowledgement of it at the end of each day you know like oh what is it about this career that's drawing me in um (laughs) and and genuinely I didn't put two and two together for ages that the way I did news TikToks had anything to do with ADHD but genuinely yeah I think I started it shortly afterwards but I hadn't put it together which was that I think I wanted news the way that I would like it. You know what I mean? Like I kind of wish that, I mean, the what, the big thing about TikTok, as I say TikTok, it's on other stuff like Instagram and stuff, but like generally speaking, the thing that I think is unbelievably powerful about TikTok like as a news sharing platform is that there isn't that click barrier. You know, you don't have to even click on the headlines, let alone like type in www.theguardian.com, which young people don't consume news that way. They don't specifically turn on the TV. You know, it, it, you have it's about bringing news to young people in the places they are. But for me as well, it's like I would love to learn about this thing, but it would never occur to me to like maybe, or maybe it might occur to me to go search it, but then to actually have the time to do it and then sit down and do it and then read the full article. Like that was often difficult for me when I didn't have to do it strictly for work. And then, yeah, the, just having something like, okay, just like here's, here's what it is, you know, and, and, and just getting to the core of it and explaining it in like a sharp, punchy way and having different visuals. And like I was creating news when I sort of first pitched the idea and started making them. It was, yeah, creating news in a way that would like itch the little itch in my own brain. And I think that itch might have had a little bit to know with the ADHD. And clearly it, it resonated with people which was which was great and I, I and I do think like it was sort of an accident that yeah it's, it's one of those ways where you know when you have that discussion about oh you know should we use the word disorder is disability the exactly the right way describe it and is that all like not I mean like definitely is a disability but like is that all it is like you say, other elements too. And I, I do have to kind of look and it's like, no, I, I think I very much am where I am today specifically because my brain worked like that. And and as well, I think I have spent a lot of my life taking the sort of big nebulous ideas that are in my head and finding a way to actually communicate that down and simplify it down and 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 speak with people. Like I think you know, I think there's a reason a lot of neurodivergent people end up going into sort of communication type careers is because that's the way that we've been masking for a long time is is by finding those specific ways to communicate that way. 
Mm, yeah, great point. Well, and I think even with TikTok itself as a platform, I always joke, you know, the people always say that TikTok is convincing people that they have ADHD. And I'm like, the only people who are on TikTok are neurodivergent people because we are like moss to a flame. Like it is it was made for us. So yeah, we're all finding each other and we're all communicating with each other, but it's not convincing people, you know, that they have ADHD. But I'm curious about in in terms of the the your viral video and the tags, was that What's the timeline there? Was that that was after your diagnosis, but before the book, right? Like, was that something you started doing before your diagnosis? And you were like, I'm just going to share this. No, that was mid book, actually. Um, And I was I was making TikTok videos of my documenting my book process very much as a way to avoid writing the book. I took some time off work to do to write it and this was this is on my my I also have a personal TikTok page I'm not um, where I mostly talk about ADHD and and yeah so I'd, I'd seen the chore charms used very much as a method for chores like you know you sort of for people who people don't know it's sort of you have like stretchy bracelets with little tags on them and it's got all the chores you know it's the your lounge room you've got all the things that you might need to do on a weekly basis like vacuum this and tidy the kitchen cat you know tidy the tv cabinet and you have the kitchen ones and and then you kind of the idea is like you pull a few out by random and it takes away the need to decide what chores need to be done and because it's kind of on your wrist you want the gratification of putting it in the in the jar and also it's like annoying so you can't forget that that's what you were meant to be doing so it's kind of there's a lot of different elements of the ADHD like struggle that it that it corrects for and I ended up more and more, I started using them and making them again, just as a bit of like a hyperfixation, like I'm going to do this and write a little spreadsheet with all my chores and, and I get to buy stuff and not feel guilty. <laughs> so I did that and then more and more ended up just using it for my own morning routine, which is what this video was about that ended up going stupidly big because I think I, I find myself kind of like accidentally slipping into liminal space a lot during a morning, just sort of like staring at a wall or like on, t- you know, on my phone by accident with like half a shoe on. And so, yeah, the the way that chores has got like make my bed and get dressed and like put on deodorant and brush your teeth and, you know, eat breakfast and take my meds and write a to-do list. And it, it just sort of structures my morning in a way. And yeah, I, I sort of made it it was like part two of like a bigger video of like my vlog of just like writing the book for the day. I didn't even sort of think about it, but yeah, people found it really interesting and then it got really big and then I got freaked out and didn't do it again for a year because I got overwhelmed by it. (laughs) In the classic way that you do, some people like to capitalize on virality and I run from it. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for reminding me that they're called chore charms, and I promise I will stop calling you the tag lady. <laughs> I don't know why I was calling them tags. It doesn't. Nothing but, matters. True. Uh, but, you know, I think it was really what was so what's so great about it is the understanding the need that, like, things have to be annoying, right? Like, we can have checklists, and then they become invisible. We can have sticky notes, and then they can become invisible immediately. You know, I have so many spreadsheets, and I forget about them, right? And so there was something, I think, just brilliant about finding this foolproof way of being constantly irritated by the chores that are coming up that you have to do them. I'm like, you get us. Yeah. And I mean, it's like an extension of like, sometimes I 
you know, like if I've, I'm notorious, you know, like putting leftovers at the work fridge and never taking them home, just the worst person. But, you know, like, well, now if I do that, I'm like, I put my bag all the way across the office that I have to go get my bag and having to go walk to get my bag will remind me, oh, I've got the fridge. And, you know, I've been doing that just kind of like subtly in my own life for ages. I've now, you know, I need to put the bins out. So I'll just put a candle in the middle of the floor. So I have to step over the candle constantly if not lit don't worry <laughs> um <laughs> me that was my that was me speaking to my own demons there you know like we'll put something in the middle of the floor so that you're constantly yeah you're annoyed like the power of annoyance is so big with adhd like just to have something that you like want to get rid of so then you have to do the do the thing that you're saying you're going to do in order to get rid of that annoyance like yeah that that is everything well and it also goes back to the idea of having the best intentions right which is like i remember when i was getting diagnosed explaining to my gp how like i was like i don't lose things and then i would go into this long diatribe about the elaborate systems that I had for not losing my keys or, you know, I never lose my glasses because I literally have 12 pairs, one in every room and one in my car, like, you know, all of the work that goes into having to just remember things and show up and then never making the connection as to like, huh, I wonder why I'm exhausted all the time. (laughs) And like, you know, so it's like, there was so much of that feeling of like, we just never we were never allowed to pay attention to all the work that we were putting into just showing up. And I think that's where it feels, you know, once you start to make that connection in your own life and see, like you said, see the evidence of ADHD from the moment you wake up until you go to bed at night, that how much you are working, it just, it is, it just feels so validating. Like somebody's come along and just like, taken the weight off for a few minutes and, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm, like oh oh, thank you thank you for understanding (laughs) completely can I admit um an embarrassing version of that sure (sighs) which is that I used to think (laughs) I used to think I was just like so deep at parties because I'm like I don't even want to be like in the I want to be sitting outside having deep conversations with people and it's like no you just didn't like loud music Matilda (laughs) I was like I'm actually an intellectual. <laughs> it's like, no, you had sensory overload. Well, I think it's also, yeah, it's it's definitely sensory overload, but I definitely think like we do not like small talk. I mean, we just immediately get to the trauma or we immediately get to the like existential dilemma. And and so it's true. Like when you, you'll find us at parties, like everybody else is dancing and having fun and we're the ones who are sitting on a couch in the back of the room uh, talking about the meaning of life. And- <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely, um, yeah. But yeah, I think there's there is the sensory stuff too in terms of just when too many people are in a room talking, it becomes just way too much. But I think in general, I would much prefer one-on-one conversations, right? And is that because of sensory stuff or is that just the way in which we communicate, right? It's just so fast-paced and we're connecting dots all the time and we don't stay on the same topic for more than 30 seconds and we lose our train of thought. Like I feel like the way that we have a conversation with each other is so different from how you communicate with other people. Yeah, I guess so. I haven't even really totally thought about it. Yeah, I think there definitely is that element of jumping in and then and going off on a million tangents. And it's interesting to now that, you know, sort of friends I've had for a long time knowing that we both got the got the touch of the the ADHD in our brains. Um, you know, the way that like you just circle, have to circle back to topics like an hour later because there's been 20,000 tangents and, you know, or just speaking to people who, like, don't mind being interrupted a bit. 
you know, there's that thing of, uh, you know, the, again, the moralizing of like, interrupting i'm like this i just this is how i mean like to a degree everyone talks through that but like when we're talking just like talking over each other and having three different conversations at once that all sort of join in and you know that like sort of meme and that joke about oh you're having one conversation on facebook and another conversation like on instagram chat and another one over text i'm like that but like it's all one conversation and in person like just different threads going through yeah for sure Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. Now, I'm curious, what prompted you to write the book? Because you're making the you're making the short form videos, you're making TikTok videos, you're writing at what point were you like, you know what I need now to also put on my plate is a book? <laughs> yeah, God, when you put it like that. Um, so I had written <laughs> I I have a bit of a bad habit of just announcing big things in my life via my international news publication I work for. Like I it was like, and here's and here's this full article about how I'm bisexual <laughs> that I like haven't even told most of my family, but I wanted to write an op-ed for by visibility day. So I'll just put that out to the world. And then I did the same thing with ADHD, which I like pitched this story being like, I think we should do a story about how people are finding out that they have ADHD, like on TikTok. And then I like pitched it as a news story. And then they're like, yeah, cool. How are you going with case studies? I'm like, oh, I think I got one. And then I like wrote being like, by the way, it's me. And it's an op-ed. Sorry. 
Um, and that was how I told my work. Um, so when people are like, oh, how do I go about telling my work? I'm like, I can't help you. I did it in possibly the worst way. And then so I wrote the I wrote that piece for The Guardian talking about that. And then, um, yeah, Penguin, my publisher, ended up a little while afterwards. I'm kind of I was I'm around in the kind of like journalism space. Um, and then they reached out and sort of said, have you considered writing this longer form? And was yeah again just like agreed before I thought <laughs> through the consequences thank god because if I thought through the consequences I never would have done it um <laughs> uh yeah and and I'd always wanted to be an author like since I was a teenager and stuff like that like that was that was kind of always like the dream that then I let go of a little bit and then I was uh, wanting to do journalism I mean also there was so much other stuff about journalism that really drew me to it but you know, in a way that that was, and then to have that opportunity to like be doing both of those things at once, which yeah, it was fantastic. And then was then torturous and awful for the next 18 months of actually doing it. But I'm glad that I did it now it's done, which is, yeah, that was that <laughs> thing of, I spoke to someone, they're like, yeah, you need to do it. It'll be like the worst possible thing you've ever done. And you'll hate it every single day. And it will be the best thing you've ever achieved in your life. And I was like, yeah, that's been pretty pretty on the ball <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's a great way of saying it i think it but it really speaks to that idea that you were saying before about like hyper focusing on a topic learning as much as you can about the topic so that you then have to turn around and explain it to the lay person right and i think this is perfect which is really you know the uh, an amazing primer for somebody who's going through all of those that emotional roller coaster and having to really kind of you know, force yourself to learn all the things and explain it to other people in such a way that like, you know, I don't mean to dump on all the clinicians that I've interviewed, but here we go. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, one of the questions I always ask when I get like a psychologist or a psychiatrist or or a therapist, I'm like, okay, what even is ADHD, right? Like where I'm like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a certain type of brain and it's a brain that we're, you know, that we're born with. And so we have ADHD throughout our life. And sometimes we have troubling traits, you know, in school or in a boring job or, you know, with things that are looked at as terrible character flaws. But other times we credit our ADHD with amazing things. And so really it's the brain that we're talking about. But a lot of, I feel like a lot of clinicians use you know, medicalize it and talk about ADHD only in terms of the disorder and the negative traits, right? And so that's why I'm always like trying to get back to this, like, okay, what are we even talking about when we talk about ADHD? Is it just the disorder that you are thinking about it and that it somehow like can be cured or at least mitigated by medication? And I felt like your description of ADHD was so perfectly exactly the answer I was looking for. So I'm going to make you do it again, even though I'm sure you've done it many times. But like what when somebody asks you the question, what even is ADHD? What do you say? Yeah, <laughs> that is the thing. And and when I started writing the book, I was like expecting so many like more clear answers. And, you know, it took me like a month to come to terms with the fact that I'm like, I don't we don't actually know how many people are diagnosed, you know, and things like that. Like there's so many like things that you think are so basic that there's no answer to. And one of them was, yeah, like what is ADHD just from a chemical and a functional point of view? And it is that something in certain areas of the brain, which tend to be ones that run off the neurotransmitter dopamine, 
aren't working great and you know i think we have like the shorthand of like oh we've got not enough dopamine in our brains which is like useful shorthand it's not actually we don't actually know if that's the case but uh there's you know it might be that there's not enough dopamine it might be that our brains suck it back too fast it might be that there's something else all entirely going wrong and just happen to be adding you know, dopamine reuptake inhibitors, which is what stimulants are, just like happen to fix it as well, like help help account for it. But basically, yeah, like not entirely, but, you know, the two two big pathways of the brain that are affected are the mesolimbic pathway, which is the reward system, sort of basically being able to remember, you know, when you're a caveman and you have to go collect the berries, but it's like raining outside, the ability to be like, remember how good the berries tasted last time? And that ability, like, okay, let's push through. That's not great at it. Obviously, in the real world, it's like, remember how nice it will feel to get a better paying job, even though you have to sit here for three hours doing a boring resume uh, and, you know, not having that kind of constant like motive, little bursts of motivation throughout. And then the other element being the prefrontal cortex where your brain sort of organizes itself and the like whiteboard in the front of the brain where you're doing little bits of math and clearing one type of thinking and starting in a different type of thinking and picking out all the different elements of a task and putting them in order and keeping everything in time, which like all of those tend to run off the neurotransmitter dopamine and norepinephrine and something is a bit shonky (laughs) there. It's going a bit wrong and a bit shonky going a bit wrong. Again, that's sort of through the like medicalistic view But, you know, that's essentially what the condition is on a genetic level. But it is weird to be like, yeah, we don't actually fully know what the capacity is. And I think, sorry if this is is the most rambly answer, but when you were talking about like, what is it? Like, is it a condition? Is it a disorder? Why do we only define it by the elements that are bad? It is like that thing that I think about so much, which is that, okay, we started talking about ADHD when widespread education, like universal education became a thing. Previously, the kids who didn't want to learn, they'd stay on the farm. You know, they wouldn't. But when we start sending every kid to school, okay, there's this notice, there's this issue that's causing, it's causing problems. Okay, there's an issue, so let's define it. And because it started of that element of, there's this problem going on. Some kids are struggling. That's how it was defined to begin with. And then because like just to a certain degree, like doctors and scientists and everyone want to help people, like they're wanting their work and their research to be making a difference. And the way you help people is by isolating and understanding and studying problems. Like you're not, you don't need to like document the assets. And, you know, when you're trying to help a child, it's not about, oh, well, what about this like really broad imaginative style and like the way in which they kind of like pick up on like these different things. And, oh, actually sometimes this like focus has, because no, it's about like this kid is struggling, like let's help them out. And I think, which is that weird thing of the, because the medical system is like empathy based, we end up disregarding a lot of the stuff that isn't a negative and it isn't a problem. And because like that's how it's defined and it's come through and it it really is that like, okay, the 17 or the 14, whatever it is, dot points of the symptoms of ADHD that we have in the DSM-5 now inherently have to be about the condition. And the fact that the condition has to be a disorder, it needs to significantly negatively impact your life in order for you to even have it. Like, And so we have this weird condition where it's like, I could get so good at like ADHD tactics and 
life hacks and systems that having ADHD would stop negatively impacting my life. And then from a diagnostic point of view, I would no longer have it. You know, you can get so good at living your life with your condition that you would suddenly, medically speaking, not be neurodivergent anymore. You know, not that neurodivergent is a medical term, but like you wouldn't have this condition. And it's, it's, and the more and more I dove into the ADHD world, the more I realized it's like, yeah, so much of ADHD is a disability. So much of it is a disorder and it impacts my life and it's negative and there's negative things that come out of it in terms of car accidents and addiction and all this stuff that I never want to be like, that's a gift. It's actually a gift. I just wonder whether we're kind of only looking at a third of the picture. We're only looking at the negative stuff. We're not looking at the neutral and and even the positive stuff. And it came really hard because it came time to write the chapter I wanted to write about the positive elements of it. And there's just no science behind it because no one studies it. Because again, like it's not culturally how we think about it. And also people want to be helping, you know, and I think it's a real shame because like, I do think there is like such this element of needing to acknowledge it as a disorder, but also it's so easy to get trapped in. Like this is, it's only bad and it's only negative and I wish I didn't have it. And I, I don't think that that's really fair either for us to only be fed those negatives and to feel like it's just hopeless. Anyway, so that's what ADHD is. <laughs> this people is why I'm obsessed with Matilda Posley. I love I love your brain. But it's true. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the gendered reaction in terms of like you gave a very generous view of the of the medical um, community. So that was very nice of you. But I think, you know, we haven't even started to talk about why boys get support and girls are told to, you know, get their shit together. Um, (laughs) But I'm curious and I'm going to put you on the spot here because you you brought up this question when you were talking about the deficits and the positives. And, you know, and I'm certainly the, the last person who would ever call ADHD a superpower. But I do feel like, like you said, there are a lot of ways that you can learn through psychoeducation to live a better life with ADHD and and to not feel like it is the albatross uh, that's following you around. But what would you say to somebody? Because I get this a lot from from listeners who are like, all you ever have are guests who seem to have their life figured out. And then all they do is talk about how great ADHD is. And they've done all these wonderful things and won all these awards. Like, where are the people who are really struggling? And so I'm curious, like, what is your answer to people who who feel who, who people who are genuinely really feeling like ADHD has ruined their life? Yeah. And, like, the really awful, horrible answer to where are all the people who are really struggling is, like, in prison a lot of the yeah. time. Genuinely. In Australia, at least, it's it's about 25% of the prison population would meet the, meet the diagnostic criteria for ADHD. Yeah. It's, like, an 800% overrepresentation. And I think about this a lot and I also think about it I think there's also a, a real racial element to this as well, where we, we, you know, you do see the people who are starting to be like, oh, "Look how successful this came," and it's, it's like, yeah, because I was given the benefit of the doubt a lot, you know, and my race had a lot to do with that, you know. I think I, I spoke to one professor who was talking about like, like, there's kind of two paths you can go down, and this didn't quite happen to me because I wasn't diagnosed as a child, but 
you know, there's this path of, okay, this kid's struggling, like let's get them help, let's get them diagnosed, let's get them these support services. Or there's this kid is struggling and they're just like they don't want to learn and they're awful and let's expel them and they get fired from their job and then you end up in the criminal justice system. And sadly, race plays a huge part in what road we decide to send kids down. And, you know, I I talk about it so much, which is – and as well when we talk about gender, like ADHD – amplifies social injustice to a huge degree. And even if that doesn't happen and and you sort of, you go through, maybe you're not diagnosed, maybe you do get support services, but it doesn't really happen, but like then you can't fully keep a job and then there's, you're late too many times and and you get fired and then it goes, like there's really serious consequences to ADHD. And I think that is part of something I think about a lot and something that I you know, now being in this space and talking about like as an adult diagnosed person who has a voice and had a voice within the public eye to a certain degree and a platform before even being diagnosed, like I don't think it's really my space to be like here's all the absolutely amazing – like I do think that we need to talk about some of the great things because I don't think nihilism is like the way forward. But as well, like I'm very aware that like I'm a – privileged person with this condition and I got lucky and like there's so many sliding door moments where I could have gone down a totally different path and even like being incredibly privileged and incredibly lucky I also don't have my life together you know what I mean like I'm overwhelmed constantly and feel so tired like there's that element of hear about people like wearing glasses for the first time and like seeing all the leaves and the trees and like they were there all along. You know, I feel like that's what I'm going to wake up when I like finally feel refreshed. Like, oh, this is what life is, you know. And (laughs) it's so difficult even with everything going for me. And I want to make sure that it's not only viewed as like this part of, I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I'm just aware that like by being a person who has the capacity to talk about ADHD, I'm already not in the same boat as a lot of people with the condition. And I do think that there is that element of like, I found it and here's my diagnosis and now everything's better. And it's like, well, no, I, in the book, I they have a chapter just talking about all like the different, there's a few chapters, but like talking about like all the different things you have to do to make symptoms better. And like the horrific, horrible news that that's like eating well and exercising and sleeping enough and going to therapy, like fucking devastated when I heard that. Um, <laughs> but as well as, you know, like all the life hacks and I'm going to have like my little chore charms and I'm going to have my like tick off things and I'm going to habit stack and all of this. And then I was like, oh, well, I can't do it for myself, but I'll do it for science and I'll become like the ultimate ADHD person and see how like good my life could be. And I failed immediately. I couldn't do it. And I felt so awful about that for a long time. And then I realized like, no, that's so much better to write and put in the book and talk about I failed at this, but here's this little incremental improvement. And I couldn't remember to do my skincare routine each day, but like I do kind of put on sunscreen 50% of the time now. And, you know, oh, I haven't taken vitamins, but I've remembered my antidepressants, you know, and things like that. And like the little, I guess the little improvements, but also just like ADHD comes a lot with like failing and like being awful. And I, and I, I want I realized that that was important to put in the book too, that like you can't just expect to, have your life together all the time. And yeah, like I still like the last few weeks have been overwhelming and huge and I can't answer any emails and it's a problem. <laughs> and I, I haven't been replying to texts from people and stuff like that. So I think when, when you're like wanting to 
help people and be like, here's the light at the end of the tunnel, like, I think it's also important to acknowledge, like, no one really has their shit together <laughs> in terms of that. But I've, I've gone so many different places with this answer. Basically, I don't have my shit together. Also, social injustice means that uh, a lot of people with ADHD don't even get the opportunity to. You know, talking about privilege and being, like you said, being in a place where you can talk about this and not feel like it's going to ruin your life, to be honest about some of these traits. I think, you know, even just advocating on the the behalf of that, of, of destigmatizing it to a degree where we can start looking at these traits in children and not punishing them and sending them to the principal off, principal's office or doing whatever is going to send them on this pipeline of, you know, like you said, of this pipeline of being truant or dropping out of school or ending up in jail. But like looking at these children as like, what help do they need? Nobody is, no child is being disruptive or disobedient for the sake of being bad, right? Going back to this whole idea of like, there is no inherent badness in children. And so when children are doing things that are disruptive in a classroom, they need help. They need support. They don't need to be punished. And so if we can talk about these traits more openly and and put a, you know, a, a diagnosis, for lack of a better word, to what these traits are, we can start to change this view that that people are just being jerks, you know, the same way that like if a kid bullies, when my kid comes home and says, oh, this this kid was bullying me, the first thing we talk about is, well, somebody's bullying him. So somebody was mean to him first. And so let's kind of think about the systemic <laughs> issues around bullying. And then my kids roll their eyes and wander off. But my point is, like, can we look at this, you know, in a larger framework of how, what support do kids need? And I think right now only white boys are getting that support. Yeah, completely. And it was it was interesting on the topic. I, I spoke currently in Australia, the Senate is um, the federal Senate is doing an inquiry into ADHD support services. We'll see if anything comes of it. I'm not, you know, I maybe I tend to be a bit nihilistic, but I spoke to the inquiry as a lived experience witness. And it was interesting because they sort of the senators asked questions afterwards. And one of the people on the committee, they were saying that they had previously had a group that I'm not a total fan of, of uh, uh, psychiatrists that are a bit sort of anti-diagnosis fringe opinions, basically. Um, and they were saying that, yeah, that, what's your response to, they were sort of saying that a diagnosis for a child could be a burden and a sort of weight and weigh them down and I kind of was like yes if the structures punish kids for that like if we have a system where it's viewed as oh here's this dark omen of everything to come and here's yeah the albatross that will be following you around and here's all the ways that you're going to be worse yeah that can be a burden but that's not the fault of the diagnosis if we have here's a condition your brain works a bit of a different way you know like i think we talk a lot in the adult space about like is it a gift we have to acknowledge the disabilities for kids we don't need to do that as much we can talk about like you just have a different type of brain and this is the way it's going to learn and here are all the positive amazing things that can come out of this and i'm i was saying what's going to be more detrimental having you know even just a teacher be able to know that they need to just come by and just double check that they were they understood what was being said or maybe they just need to explain a little bit again or the teacher who's constantly going you know maybe there's no diagnosis and they think they're a bad kid and what was i just saying you know, what, what was I what was I just saying? Repeat it back. And embarrassing, which happened to me so many times. What what was what were they just saying? 
the that like public humiliation we put a lot of kids through because we assume that they're just not paying attention when actually it's like kids who are really struggling. I'm what's more of the burden here? What's going to have the worst effect on self-esteem? And I think I'm not sure if you come across this, but I think there's been a bit of a divide, I think, between people who are diagnosed in adulthood and I think very specifically the boys who were diagnosed maybe 15 years ago when they were kids and it was treated in that bad way. It was the albatross. It was this, like, dark thing and they're quite reluctant now to talk about, oh, no, we'll hear the good thing. No, it can only be a disability. Like, stop talking about neurodivergence. Stop talking about this. Like, don't fool yourself into thinking this could be good. And I do think that it definitely there is the capacity for people to grow up and and feel like that, but that is not the fault of diagnosis. That's so bizarre to be like, oh, you you might be bullied if if you've got like a knee brace on, so just keep having your knee fall apart, you know, like, like just keep injuring your knee instead. You know what I mean? Like it's not the knee's fault. I think about that so much in terms of we do need that compassion and that treatment, but suggesting that like labeling a kid is inherently bad when it's culture around labeling them is just ridiculous and i think that's such a ridiculous talking point when people talk about like oh you're just gonna put kids in a box i'm like no you are making the box the diagnosis isn't (laughs) ah i feel like i could talk to you for three hours thank you for staying with me later (laughs) um uh, I, I do have my one last question, which is if you could rename ADHD to something less problematic, would you call it something else? Or do you like problematic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that element of like every letter of the ADHD acronym is bad and wrong. <laughs> um, so I thought about this a lot. Again, I, I've, I've written about it. It's not, it's not quite renaming ADHD because like what I was talking about, about how like you've got the disorder and the diagnostic criteria, and then everything else. So I say disorder, so strictly when I'm talking about like the DSM-5, and then you have like the rest of the condition, which is, and I do wonder whether even more than renaming ADHD itself, whether we need to let ADHD or be whatever the word is, be for the specific disorder bit and have another word for everything else. So like you have this type of brain and it is affecting your life negatively and you then also have the disorder that is associated with that type of brain sometimes, ADHD. And because essentially ADHD, it's a legal term that's meant to decide who gets access to stimulants and sometimes extra support services if you're lucky. Like it's only ever been designed to be that and that's why it is defined the way it is. And so what I talk about, about if we wanted a bigger term and and a, a larger thing that ADHD is sort of one section of is I talk about like having a land brain or an ocean brain. I'm sorry, this answer is way longer than you probably expected it to be. No, I love it. Yes. If you're neurotypical, generally speaking, getting things done, kind of like walking on land, like you're going mostly in a straight line. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be hills. You can usually see them coming. At the end of the day, it's not always going to be like easy to run, but probably your speed is going to be based on your energy and how much you are deciding, how fast you were deciding to go. What it feels like, at least for me, a lot more, and I think for a lot of people with ADHD, is that like I'm in the little boat in the ocean. And if you're never taught to sail, 
you are just being swept along. Like sometimes you're being swept by the tide so fast and you get there like you're speeding back next speed. Sometimes it's so choppy you cannot get anywhere. And then if you've, again, never been taught to sail, you've never been taught, you're going to be like rowing against these giant waves, exhausting yourself constantly, uh, but like getting nowhere. And what I think about is like if I'm taught to sail, then I can like work with the tides. I know when the water's too choppy. We just got to give up on this one. And sometimes it's still going to take long time and be arduous and be awful. Sometimes you're going to get there like even quicker than the people going on land. And I talk about that. (laughs) The metaphor goes on way too long in the book. Don't worry. And so maybe like that's having the ADHD type brain and then the ADHD disorder itself is like, you're feeling a bit seasick at the time, which I just like as a cute metaphor. Um, And then I was like, okay, well, ocean brain, maybe feels a bit hippy dippy, think would work in schools, maybe not. But then I found that there's the Latin word, sorry, no, the Greek word for like in the open ocean, which is pelagic. And um, I just also like it that it's got an IC so that we can say like, you know, how autism has autistic, then we could like pelagism and pelagic. Uh, And so that is my long convoluted answer for if I could introduce another word, it wouldn't be specifically replacing the condition name, but it would be, I guess, for broadly speaking, like the neurotype of having ADHD. So like there's all these different pelagic people and everyone can like access the support services, whether they're diagnosed or not. And then you have this specific term, that's legalistically for whether you get access to the stimulants or not, whether you need them. And I just think, I don't know, I think it would be a better way. I think it would be a better system. <laughs> I like it. Although I can see I can see all the UK media rolling their eyes already and being like, everybody thinks they're pelagic. Oh, no, 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 they did roll their eyes. I published it as an extract in The Guardian and it was a huge amount of actually, it was really positive response. There were a few annoying, there was a few people being like, imagine trying to identify as your disorder. I was like, oh, wow, this, the straight white men don't understand the need for kind of community within uh, oppression. Uh, it's weird. I don't understand identity and community out of like hardship. Why wouldn't they possibly have a perspective <laughs> on why that might be important? Oh, oh my goodness. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I just think you're the the bee's knees and thank you so much for everything you do for this community. <laughs> Congratulations on the book and um I wish you all the all the success and I can't wait to see what comes next. No pressure. <laughs> thank you so so much. It's been a lovely chat. I've, it's been awesome. I've it's had such a good time. Thank you. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. Sports. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.